Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, more than 100,000 Ontario Liberals are eligible to vote for a new leader this weekend. We'll get you updated on the party that, after two consecutive awful election results, is starting to feel some wind in its sails again. And our regular feature, Your Column, My Column, is back. We'll let you know what caught our fancies over the past seven days. It's Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. So let's get to it. Hey, partner. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Steve. Yes, we are happy to be back in the booth and uh, rocking and rolling here for another On Poly podcast. So what have we got this week? Well, Ontario Liberals are holding their leadership election vote this weekend. There are 100,000 plus new members. It's one of the biggest political party memberships in the country, actually, not just in the province, but in the whole country. No doubt they won't all vote. Usually there is a drop off of as much as 50 percent. But regardless of how many people vote, it starts this weekend. And we made our modest contribution to having the public better understand the four candidates and where they stand on things. Last week, we staged an hour-long debate in our Bill Davis studios at Young and Eglinton, Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie, members of Parliament Nate Erskine-Smith and Yasser Nakvi, and member of the Ontario Legislature Ted Shu put their best feet forward. And just before we get into the weeds on how Liberals will make their voices heard... Give us some of the feedback on who impressed you during that debate. This might sound like a bit of a cop-out, but, uh, you know, it was a good debate precisely because I think they all did reasonably well. I think Bonnie Crombie did a a decent job of making uh, her case for herself without showing what I think of as um, front-runner hubris. Uh, Erskine Smith was uh, pretty effective in his criticism of her campaign to date, uh, reminding viewers of some of her let's call them missteps that the campaign uh, had to walk back early on. Uh, You know, Nakvi has a a strong personal story to tell, uh, as well as a record in public office. And uh, Ted Shu made the case that he can lead the party from inside the legislature the day after the vote, since he alone among these four is a currently serving MPP. Quite correct. Now, all four candidates have said that this is a competitive race. Crombie says if she can get her vote out, she may be able to win on the first ballot. The other three candidates strenuously disagree with that. They're adamant that no one can win on the first ballot. But in terms of the caliber of candidates, what do you think? You know, I think in a lot of races, it's very common, uh, and I'm not going to name names here out of kindness, but I think it's very common to have at least one candidate who everybody knows is not going to go very far. They are there for That's whatever a gentle way of putting it. So yeah, <laughs> they are there for whatever personal reasons people make to get into these kinds of competitions. But they are not going to be on the final ballot. Let me put it that way. And in this race, I mean, I think liberal uh, members are really spoiled for choice right now. You've got uh, the woman who is currently the mayor of one of Ontario's largest cities, and absolutely a serious job. You've got uh, a former provincial attorney general and current MP. You've got an MP who's made a name for his own independence and. I would add, has undeniably hustled for the last year or so as he's been in this race. And you've got someone who is both a former MP, a current MPP, and he happens to also be a literal physicist and I think (laughs) has made the campaign better than it would have otherwise been. And just for our listeners' sake, that's Crombie, Nakvi, 
Erskine Smith and Shu in the order in which you were listing them. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, you know, there are some perspectives that are missing in this race. Uh, nobody from Northern Ontario put their name forward, for example. Uh, but I think even with uh, fewer candidates on the ballot, this race has been more competitive than the last one, which Stephen Del Duca won on the first ballot. Uh, did any moments stand out to you during the debate, Steve? Well, I, I don't mind telling you when you're doing the debate, like when you're moderating a debate, it's often very difficult to uh, to see what the magic moments are because, you know, you've got an eye on the clock. You've got an eye on what your next question is. You're listening to what the candidates are saying. You're thinking about potential follow-ups. But, but as I look back on it, I think the best moment in the whole debate in our TVO studio was from Yasser Nakfi, who really spoke eloquently about his parents, both of whom were lawyers, who ran a motel because they couldn't get accredited as lawyers in Ontario. And it spoke to one of NACFI's priorities, which is confronting the self-governing professions such as doctors and lawyers and forcing them to allow more foreign-trained professionals to be allowed to do their thing here. Both my parents were lawyers when we came to, <coughs> to Ontario 35 years ago, and, and they were not able to practice for a single day. They had to run a motel. I mean, what's... Talk about soul-crushing. For, for them. I mean, they, the entire life, and little has changed. There are about 4,000 doctors in Ontario right now that are either driving Ubers or working in a lab. I will make sure that they're practicing medicine in northern Ontario, in rural Ontario, and other parts of the province. Now, after the debate was over, I actually had a private moment with Yasser Nakfi, and I told him at the time how powerful I thought that moment was where he told that very personal story. And he responded by saying, you know, this isn't just stuff that I have in my platform. Because of my parents, this is a very personal issue to me. So, uh, and, and look, at that came forward. That absolutely came out. And we will see whether that moment has had any impact on the state of the race. Uh, let me say a word about healthcare uh, because you mentioned that uh, Yasser Nakvi spoke about hiring more healthcare workers. Ted Shu mentioned team-based primary care, which uh, is when you use interdisciplinary healthcare providers to give more options to patients and uh, ideally reduce cost. Uh, Nader Smith focused on mental health, pointing out the need for harm reduction services. Uh, and Bonnie Crombie said there needs to be another medical school in the province, uh, likely in the north, that would include uh, French language training and offer free tuition to doctors to settle in. Uh, underserved communities for a period of time. Uh, housing, too, uh, unsurprisingly, given the state of things in Ontario right now, was a, another area of focus. Uh, Nate Erskine-Smith said there's a need for uh, gentle density near transit. Bonnie Crombie said there will need to be incentives to encourage people to move to northern Ontario. Uh, and uh, education, smaller class sizes in particular, was something that uh, most of the candidates spoke about. And of course, uh, the Liberal Party institutionally can talk about its record in shrinking uh, class sizes when they were in power. Mm. Now, one notable moment during the debate were the responses when I asked them about protecting the Greenbelt, a huge topic, obviously, considering the Greenbelt land swap scandal. Uh, all four were unanimous about protecting it. No swaps, nothing coming out of the Greenbelt, only more land going into it. That's what they all said, all four of them. What else did you hear about housing that piqued your interest? Well, I actually do want to dwell on that one for a moment uh, just to, A, uh, applaud you in, in getting all four of these candidates who might become premier, or at least one of them might. Uh, you got them all to offer hostages to fortune, <laughs> um, <laughs> pointing out that we were recording the debate and these commitments that they are, are making could at least in theory be uh, brought back to haunt them in the future. Uh, but it's, it's worth saying that because, of course, this is not how the last liberal premier governed. Kathleen Wynne did remove lands from the Greenbelt. Now, she followed a very different process uh, than the current government uh, did. It was far more uh, public and transparent and consultative. You could 
very strongly argue that that was the correct way to do that. But it wasn't a blanket refusal to ever take lands out of the Greenbelt. They have said, uh, all four of these candidates, uh, that, you know, absolutely not. No lands ever removed. And, you know, if they are fortunate enough to form government uh, after the next election and, hey, you know, if you're the liberals, ideally, you'd like to form the next several governments. <laughs> um, but if you govern for long enough, that becomes a harder and harder choice. Um, and yeah, like these clips could end up coming back to haunt them. Well, that's why I put it that way. I, <laughs> said, I said to them all, you know, we are recording this and we can play back these clips in the future because and I think uh, admittedly, look, I was a little bit flippant here when I said to them, you know, the, the, the current Greenbelt boundaries did not come down from Mount Sinai. They were actually created by politicians who had political trade-offs to make and made decisions about where boundaries should go. And before I say another thing, let me, as I always do, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, say that my brother is a home builder in the Hamilton-Niagara area. He has land that was in the green belt, then was out of the green belt and available for developing, and is now back in the green belt and not available for developing. So with all of that on the record, I did point out to these four that, you know, the boundaries of the Green Belt did not come down from Mount Sinai. And at some point in the future, if you're lucky enough to become premier, you may actually want to do some land swaps where it makes sense. But they all shut the door on that real tight, didn't they? As I say, it was the moment that I dwelled on um, because I think you don't have to uh, endorse the policies of the current government to uh, argue that maybe not today, maybe not even in five years time. I think it, as it starts to get further and further out, like no policy is so perfect that it needs to be etched in stone. That was the uh, that was the p thing I wanted to posit with them. But apparently this one is etched in stone. So, OK, we'll see. One other topic we discussed at the TVO debate was the alliance between Nate Erskine-Smith and Yasser Nakfi. A few weeks ago, the two candidates held a press conference where they each urged voters to make the other guy their second choice on the ranked ballot that the party is using. Now, I've never before seen two leadership candidates be this open in terms of if it can't be me, here's who I think you should vote for. Uh, I, I think I've covered, I don't know, maybe 20 leadership conventions of all political parties over the last 40 years. And, and this has never happened before, to my knowledge. What do you think about the impact of this uh, very novel approach? You know, lots of other parties have used a ranked ballot before. Uh, the Ontario Liberals are actually coming to it kind of late. But you're right. I can't think of a time when this message was made this explicit. You know, it is extremely common for this kind of message to be spread privately or anonymously. And, you know, sometimes a, a journalist gets a, a quote from a supporter saying, well, we all hope that our uh, voters, you know, vote for somebody else on the second ballot. You know, these things have a way of happening. Um, but this was a explicit like 30-minute press conference on the north side of Queen's Park. Um, I, I've never seen anything quite that open. Um, you know, but again, you know, the liberals are coming to ranked ballots kind of late. So this is all new for liberals. And I think there is clearly some openness to experimentation. Um, in the past, of course, the liberals had delegated conventions where these exact same kinds of discussions would all be held in successive breaks between the votes, right? Delegates would all cast their votes, they would be counted, and then as people dropped off the ballot. You know, they might endorse someone else or not. And it was all it was all very dramatic. We love to cover those uh, conventions. Um, this time, the ranked ballot means that you really have to make your appeals for second ballot support before the voting even starts. And that is why we saw that press conference happen. Yeah. And I've got to say, some of the critics have been saying, you know, this is uh, inappropriate backroom deal that these two MPs have come up with. And 
uh, I mean, come on. It's not a backroom deal. They had a press conference for goodness yeah, sake. There sakes were on... TV cameras. I was there. <laughs> you were there. I, I, I don't always get into backrooms, <laughs> but I was there at this press no, conference. There was nothing backroom about it. It was very transparent, and they're they're making an appeal because people only will vote one time, as you point out. There's no in-between ballot reconsideration of things. So anyway, it was a novel approach, and we'll see where it goes. Now, can can I get deeply in the weeds here for a second? That is what we are here for. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm glad I have your good housekeeping seal of approval to do this because I, I do need to say a word or two or maybe 5,000 <laughs> about the system that the liberals are using to choose their new leader. And, and listeners, please indulge me here for a second as I go through how this is going to work because it is a little bit complicated, but I hope we can explain it in a way that it is followable, if that's a real word. There are in the province of Ontario 124 ridings. Each riding in the system that the Liberals are using to pick their new leader is worth 100 points. So that means there's 12,400 points up for grabs. And the winner will win 50% plus one of those 12,400 points. Are you with me so far? 6,201. Am I doing that math right? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Math was never (laughs) my strong suit, but if you say so, I'm with you. Now, candidates will divide those 100 points that each riding is worth on the basis of the percentage of the votes they got. So it doesn't matter if there are 10,000 members in a riding or only 10 in a riding. Each riding is worth 100 points. So you can see the potential for mischief here, okay? If candidate X gets 5,000 out of 10,000 votes, that's half the votes, therefore half the points. They'd get 50 points. If candidate Y gets 50 votes out of 100 in total, they would also get the same 50 points because they get half the votes. So candidate X's 5,000 votes are worth the same number of points as candidate Y's 50 votes. Now, push the rewind button if you need to hear me say that again, but it's pretty, it's pretty simple. And the result of this can be some distortions, the likes of which we saw, for example, in the 2018 Progressive Conservative Leadership Convention, where Christine Elliott got more votes and won more ridings than Doug Ford, but he got more points, so he won. Now, yes, it's very democratic to give each member one vote, but obviously and perversely, I'd say, if you live in a riding where there are very, very few liberals, your vote counts for a lot more than if you live in a riding where the liberals are very, very popular. Uh, I haven't really opined here on what I think of this system, but I think you can hear in my tone of voice and in the way I'm sort of incredulously raising this math, what I think of it. You did also use the word perversely. (laughs) So maybe I've given it away here. What do you think of all this? I think it's possible to keep two separate ideas in our heads, right? We're talking about the rules for a party's internal leadership contest. And ideally, the rules of a leadership race really shouldn't matter very much, right? Somebody would have a, a clear runaway win, um, and, and the rule they would have won under the rules of multiple different systems. And if the rules do end up mattering, then the members of that political party should probably hope that the result is that the rules bias the results towards a more competitive leader who can win in the general election, right? Political parties are organizations that are intended to win elections. And so if the rules select for a candidate who is more competitive in the general, they are arguably doing their job. On that score, I think there is an argument for this system, right? It forces 
or, or at least very strongly encourages liberals to reach out to uh, smaller ridings where they frankly may not have invested a lot of time or money at places in the province where they don't have a ton of members and uh, need to grow that support if they are going to be more competitive in the next election. In the particular case of the Ontario Liberals in 2023, that means you know places like uh, rural and northern Ontario, uh, where uh, even in government, there was uh, certainly by the time I got to Queen's Park, there was a, a really pronounced feeling uh, that the Liberals were not listening to the concerns of uh, rural and northern voters. Um, thanks to first past the post, uh, our general elections have become incredibly concentrated uh, on the uh, you know swingiest of swing seats in the greater Toronto area uh, and really only a handful of other places in the province. And I would argue we don't really have a lot of good countervailing forces to that in provincial politics. Now, that said, <laughs> you called it perverse, and I certainly agree that this weighted one-member, one-vote system is not how you would or should conduct actual elections for the legislature, because this is where I'm going to say, you know, we can keep two different thoughts in our heads. This could be a defensible set of rules for the internal contest of a political party, while also being kind of democratically offensive if anybody proposed <laughs> to bring it uh, to a general election. It balances certain factors that, in a way that is useful for Hopefully, it will be useful for the liberals uh, as they select their next leader. But no, I, I, I would not endorse a, a wider application of it. I, I think what I'm really trying to do here is introduce empirically provable facts about the perverse nature of this system because I just miss delegated convention <laughs> so much. And really, you know, if you've been around a while as I have and you've covered delegated convention, The ulterior motive finally shows itself. It does. It does at the end of the day. You know, you, you just have to know how much more exciting those conventions tend to be where you don't know the... I mean, these guys, as soon as the voting is over on the 25th and 26th, they are going to know the outcome. I mean, they're delaying it for a week just for just for fun. But the reality is, once all the votes are in, they push a button, the computer does all the tallying. Oh, actually... We can get into the mechanics of how this is going to well, work. Okay, I... good point. Let's do that because th there, there is only one vote. The 103,000 liberals who are eligible to vote will fill out a ranked ballot. And this is a good time, as you point out, as any for you to explain how ranked ballot actually works. Right. So in theory, it should be pretty straightforward. Uh, there will be four names on the ballot and liberal voters will simply write down a one, a two, a three or a four beside each name. Uh, if their first choice comes in last on the first ballot and no other candidate has reached 50% plus one of the points, then the last place candidate is removed. And for people who voted for that candidate, their second choice will be awarded uh, the, that vote instead. The catch is that voters don't have to rank each candidate. So it's possible for someone to only list one choice on their ballot. And if that candidate is removed from the rankings, then that person's ballot effectively disappears. It's, it's called extinguished in the language of political science. Uh, and one reason why Nakvi and Erskine Smith held that press conference was precisely to ensure that their members and their supporters know, like, yeah, yeah, like this is a ranked ballot. Like, we need you to put the, your second choices down because they don't want to lose potential support to in later ballots to extinguished votes. But to, to your point about uh, 
the liberals will know or will, will have these these ballots after um, they, they are cast on the 25th and 26th, my understanding is that actually they are all getting sealed up uh, and they are not going to be opened until the morning of December 2nd. And they will be counted uh, in downtown Toronto. Uh, the, the various campaigns will have volunteers to scrutinize the counting, but they will be counted on December 2nd. Um, we understand that uh, the, the counting is going to start early that morning. They hope to have the first ballot results not too long after the uh, uh, function starts around 1230 uh, on that Saturday. So uh, we will get the first ballot around 1 p.m. If it goes to successive ballots, uh, that will probably take two or three hours to count. Uh, Wait a second. Why? Why should it take two or three hours? Because they're not like putting it into a computer. They're doing hand counts every single time. I understand that. But here's the thing. Here, you know, the, the reality is, and I, we saw this, I think, at the Federal Conservative Convention, which went, the one that picked Andrew Scheer, I think it went something like 13 ballots, and they did it computerized. And the reality is, they put all the votes, it was ranked ballot system, they put all the votes in, they pushed a button, and it spit out the winner. Like, we knew the winner. It took 13 ballots for the, you know, for the bottom candidate to drop off and have those votes reassigned, but they knew instantly. And yet in between ballots, they still made people wait 15, 20, 30 minutes between ballots as if something new were happening or as if something were developing on the floor that they had to wait to have happen. But the reality is nothing was happening. It was already decided. So but you're telling me they're going to count these. If there is a second ballot, they will count the, the fourth place candidates ballots in for second choices in real time. And therefore, they actually need that time between ballots to do it. Yes. And now, as to the why, there are two reasons. One you sort of alluded to, and it, like part of it is, like, let's be honest, they're making drama in order to hold people's attention. Sure. This is the business we are in. I, I, I don't need to say much more than that. But there is also... Let's go back to 2018, because we've already mentioned the uh, ford Elliott race. Um, uh, you and I were both there. We remember how late that night went because— Oh, we didn't know that night. Sorry? Well, I don't think we knew that— Well, when they when they gaveled down the end of that convention, we did not know who had won. That's Yes, that's correct. Um, and But we, we know that part of what was going on and why it went so late is because they were contesting— you know, individual ballots down in, in individual ridings. They were fighting over the, those ballot counts. And, Hanging chads, no doubt. Yes, exactly. Very sort of uh, Florida 2000 PTSD <laughs> here. Um, but one of the things that the uh, liberals are very uh, conscious of is that, uh, like, this could c- come down to a very tight race. And if it does, they want the, the paper trail to be unimpeachable. And so it will be hand-counted paper ballots uh, all the way. And once the Liberal Party is comfortable with ranked balloting, maybe in the next leadership contest, they, maybe they will be a bit more comfortable with like a computerized system. But right now, everybody needs to see and trust the system working, I think. I still want a delegated convention. <laughs> Anyways, well, here, this much we do know. The voting will take place this coming weekend, Saturday, Sunday, but the results will not be shared until December 2nd. And uh, we are going to be there December 2nd, you and I, JMM, uh, hosting TVO's coverage, gavel-to-gavel coverage. Uh, It'll be available on our website, tvo.org. And uh, I think, uh, I mean, we'll we'll confirm this next week, but I assume we're going to sign on at 12.30 p.m. when the convention starts, and we will stay on until they pick a winner. Yep, we will uh, be there as long as it takes. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't make it take too long. You know, 
I have a kid at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, on to your column, my column. Time now for our regular feature, Your Column, My Column, in which JMM and I reminisce about the columns that we wrote for TVO.org over the past week. JMM, which of the contributions to our Commonwealth here in Ontario did you want to focus on? Uh, I have uh, two columns online from the past week uh, as we record this, and uh, one is about former Deputy Premier Deb Matthews endorsing Yasser Nakvi in the Liberal leadership, but we have uh, discussed that pretty extensively, so I will uh, instead direct people to the column I wrote about the government's recent decisions to uh, reverse some of its most controversial land use uh, decisions in the last year. Uh, Those decisions were, uh, I think it's fair to say, largely unpopular, and the choice to reverse those decisions seems to have helped the government uh, regain some balance in the past few weeks. Um, But the hard question now is that the government has basically burned a year with little new housing policy to show, uh, but the housing crisis in Ontario is as bad as ever. So they still have to do something, but I think it's um, kind of a mystery as to what they'll do next. (laughs) And what about you, Steve? Well, I was uh, fascinated by the phenomenon which often happens in politics, which is that leaders, uh, if they're lucky enough to become premier, Uh, often make decisions which occasionally um, are good and which occasionally are bad and make them very unpopular. And for a bunch of reasons, Dalton McGuinty, who was Premier of Ontario from 2003 to 2013, and Kathleen Wynne, who was Premier from 2013 to 2018, have in some respects been persona non grata at liberal get-togethers. For whatever reason, liberals have decided, and I think part of this comes with the kind of demonization of these two leaders that has taken place, liberals have decided that um, those two leaders really should not be spoken about too much at their recent gatherings. And that's why um, at the last convention in 2020 that picked Stephen Del Duca, uh, you you did not see any significant formal role for either of those two former premiers who frankly uh, were responsible for how many election with four election wins that kept the liberals in power for 15 straight years that has now apparently ended the purgatory for McGinty and Wynn has ended they will both have apparently prominent roles at this leadership election day uh, on December 2nd and I was in touch with both of them and they both confirmed to me that they would be attending the convention Stephen Del Duca will not. He is now, of course, in municipal politics as the mayor of Vaughan, and as a result, sees himself as more nonpartisan today, so he will not be showing up to the convention. And David Peterson, who is the other uh, living liberal ex-premier, premier from 1985 to 1990, uh, has yet to decide whether or not he will show up to the convention. I'll be on the lookout for that. Absolutely. I, I think it's worth noting, of course, you know, whether you get um, memorialized at a convention like this depends so much on uh, how you leave politics. Indeed. right? And Dalton McGuinty uh, left under a cloud in 2013 with the, the gas plant scandal and the, the fallout from that. And uh, uh, Kathleen Wynne, of course, after the 2018 election, uh, there was a lot of real anger within the Liberal Party uh, about how uh, 2018 went. And I will just say, broadly different decisions that could have been made. Um, and sometimes, though, like it, it just takes the distance of time. And uh, clearly, uh, some time has passed. And uh, in, in the case of both uh, Dalton McGinty and Kathleen Wynne, they are being, uh, I don't know if re-welcomed is the right word, uh, but they are being uh, brought back into the, the liberal fold and, and the, the, the liberal public memory, if I could put it that way. Indeed. Good way to put it. Uh, So that's my column uh, from the past week, and both of our columns are available if you go to tvo.org and um, 
in my case, you, you click on my picture and my columns all show up. How does it work in your case? Uh, I think if you Google TVO.org John Michael McGrath, that's how I usually find my own page when I have to look for links to my own columns. <laughs> do you do that? Do you read your own columns after you finish I writing don't, I don't read them, but like when I write stuff where I've like written about like land use planning, which I have written about extensively, Maybe when I want to link time. to prior things that I have written, I sometimes I find it easiest just to put my own name into the Google. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that is the On Poly Podcast for Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. Make sure to follow our show on Apple Podcasts so that you get notified each time a new episode is available. And if you already follow our show, tell a friend so they can follow it too. Any feedback you have, we're happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write to us on email at onpoliticsattvo.org. This week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Katie O'Connor. Production support from Carla Lucetta and Jonathan Hallowell. And to those 103,000 liberals who are eligible to vote this weekend for your new leader, let's remind you, as they say in Cook County, Chicago, vote early, vote often. (laughs) Until next Tuesday, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone.